I think about my husband and, and, you know, when we're out together and when he meets somebody like within five minutes, they're exchanging cards and doing business. And with women, you know, we just take a little bit longer and like there's some trust that has to be built and you wouldn't talk about money or around work early on in a meeting. Mm -hmm. And I just want to dispense with that. I can just really get to the point because, you know, we're losing time. Yeah. When you look at the stats around women in positions of power, like we are currently, I think, 8% of Fortune 500 sort of CEOs. And it hovers, you know, somewhere between like four and eight, depending on when you ask the question. And, you know, and it's ridiculous. And it cuts across other areas of like politics, society, you know, culture. And so like, how do we shift the numbers? For me, it's really about how we do deals, how we write checks, how we make introductions, how we make referrals. Like for me, it's like those actionable pieces are the ones that really propel our careers forward. Hi there, it's Kanika. Get ready for another season of That's Total Mom Sense, where I interview global thought leaders on their life stories, the legacy they're passing on to their kids, and of course, their mom sense and dad sense superpower. It's me, Bobby Brown. Can't wait to share my story. Hey, I'm Daphne Oz. Hi, I'm Shawnee Darden. Hi, this is Chris Lynn. Hi, I'm Bob Nishamalan. Hi, this is Tony Leroy. Hi, I'm Shannon Lee. Hi, I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. Hi, this is Michael Perry, founder of Maple. And you're listening to me on That's Total Mom Sense. It's our mission to be inclusive. So we're having dads pull up a seat at the table. Tune in to my new monthly segment, What Matters Most with Maple, featuring my co-host, Michael Perry, tech founder and devoted father of two. Thank you to my brand partners, community, and you, yes, you, for making this podcast possible. Episodes release every Thursday. Join my tribe by logging on to thatstotalmomsense.com and subscribe wherever you listen so you never miss an episode. Dee Pokusvalding is an entrepreneur and women's advocate born in the UK and raised between London and Accra. She is the founder and CEO of the We Suite, a private membership community and peer learning platform for women in leadership. Its mission is to redefine the way women leaders achieve success for themselves and for their companies by providing the community and tools for them to succeed at the highest levels. The WeSuite also helps companies accelerate growth by helping them attract, retain, and grow talent. Back in 2010, Dee also co-founded the We Network, pioneering one of the early modern women's conferences in response to the lack of diversity at traditional business forums. The initiative Black Women Raise works to accelerate the ability of leading Black female founders to raise growth capital, scale up, and create pathways for the women behind them. An innate community leader, Dee has attracted numerous business and cultural leaders to her platform over the years, from Queen Rania and Nancy Pelosi to Katya Beauchamp of Birchbox and Julia Wainwright of The Real Real. Dee serves on the board of directors of the British Academy of Film and Television, BAFTA, and the Brooklyn Bridge Conservancy, and was previously on the Credit Suisse New Markets Women's Advisory Board. She is also an advisor to Girl Gaze, Paintbox, the Female Founders Collective, and The Wonder, and serves as a contributor to Forbes. Dee holds a Bachelor of Science degree in math. She currently lives in Brooklyn with her husband and dear son. Dee, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. 
Absolutely. I've been following you on your journey and I applaud you on making such an impact on our world and making a difference in so many lives, especially for Black women and women of color. And I just, I'm so excited to dive into this interview. Um, I'm really looking forward to this. I love the themes of your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. So let's start from the beginning. I feel like we don't know where we're going until we take a look at where we've been. Tell us a little bit about your childhood in Ghana, in London, and the lessons that have shaped you to become who you are today. Indeed. So um, I was born in the UK. My parents are from Ghana. And so at the age of six, seven-ish, we moved back to Ghana. It was a you know, bit of a shock to the system, actually, because I was kind of used to a certain paradigm and landscape and I went to a completely different one and it, like it definitely took some getting used to at first and you know and I missed the things that um I was that had formed part of my daily life but, but living in Ghana was a carefree time in many ways in that you know you could really sort of be outside you know it's quite safe see like sun the weather um so there were elements of it that were really sort of conducive to having a free and sort of open childhood there were other elements um that were sort of quite rigid you know my parents are you know incredibly strict and and the schools I went to were also very that way so and there was a sort of rigidity of in thought and sort of teaching so there wasn't that same ability to question things in the way that people do in the west okay I wouldn't dare even now <laughs> right right yeah there's no challenging your elders <laughs> there is no challenging your elders. You know, there is there is a sort of deference and respect. And that I really appreciate and that I definitely, you know, I instilled that in my son. I, I think it's incredibly important. Really did shape me was just being able to grow up partly in an environment where everybody looked like me. And yeah. so it sort of takes away some of those sort of barriers to success and to sort of dreaming big when you're living in a place where those in positions of power are the, have the same sort of skin color. So there's no sort of sense that I can't be that because I don't see it because I could see it. Um, and right. so I think that that, you know, that definitely sort of very, very much informed the person I am today. But then conversely, I would say that the ability to take risks and to sort of dream outside the box was definitely something that I got from my time in the West. Oh, that's so great. You earned your bachelor's degree in math. It's a universal language and there weren't enough women in such fields. And now thanks to a shift, you know, we have Reshma Sojani's brainchild, Girls Who Code. She's been on the show as well talking about it. But, you know, we see more girls in STEM. You were one of the early ones. So were you the lone girl in that track? You know, our education system in the UK is quite different to America. Kids specialize very, very early. So mm. before you really know like who you are, what you're interested in, you're like on a narrow track. And so for me, as a black girl who was quite good at sciences and, and math, I just kind of got, you know, sort of channeled in that direction before I really knew what was happening. And so, you know, at the age of 16, you've already narrowed down your curriculum to like three or four 
subjects. And so that really sort of narrows your choices when you are applying for college. I was very much in that bucket. It's what my teachers wanted. It's what my parents wanted. And I didn't really know any better to, or maybe I just didn't dare argue. <laughs> uh, so I find myself, I got, you know, got to college there to study electronic engineering. And I got there and I was like, hmm, I don't know, because suddenly this world was opened up to me. You know, I, I had a very sort of closeted, very sort of strict upbringing. I wasn't allowed to do things that friends were allowed to do. And so college was a real revelation to me. And I saw that I could be creative. And, and so anyway, I you know went to my classes, looked around me and just saw that nobody looked like me. And oh. it wasn't the most welcoming environment. You know, it was just a, a bunch of dudes and who had just different interests and different you know, modes of being. And I, you know, I just didn't feel like that was where I wanted to be for three or four years. You know, I started to look around for something different and, but it was very hard. I couldn't go off and study English lit because I, you know, I'd sort of specialized as, as everyone had. And so the closest I could get to it was math. So that was like as creative as I was allowed to be. (laughs) Yes. I ended up studying math and you know and I you know I love I love math so tell us you know some highlights of your career in film and tv yeah so I fell into the movie business so glad that I did because I absolutely loved it and I love movies to this day I could happily sit in a movie theater and watch everything good or bad Ah, yeah (laughs) um yeah it's just like one of life's great escapes to be doing that job, ostensibly working with filmmakers, watching films, promoting films, you know, and for that to be my day to day was amazing. But I was also in the film business and the, that industry is something else. And so there was, a, you know, a lot to navigate as a woman in particular. I was certainly often the only person of color in the room. Mm. Um, but more so, I would say, actually, you know, being a woman in the film industry, back then was a very sort of disenfranchising place to be. I think that there was just a lack of respect, I think, towards women. Uh, It was a male-dominated industry, but run by an even smaller number of men. And there were just no rules. You know, I was just, I was just recalling a couple of the, you know, male bosses I had who would just scream or throw things or hit people, sexually harass them. Like, you know, that was just rife. But just taken for granted, like that was kind of the norm. Right. Thank God for um, Tarana Janine and, and Me Too. And Me Too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Really helped for the next Absolutely. generation. Absolutely. And then what was the impetus behind the We Suite? What was that aha moment for you that you thought, I have to build this? So again, it was another one of those fell into by accident moments, but with a purpose behind it. So Way back in 2010, a friend and I founded, you know, a conference for women. It was really just meant to be a one-off, mm-hmm. but it really, really resonated. And we, we sort of went our separate ways, but I decided to carry on because I could see that there was a there there. Going back to when I was still in the film business, I remember going to a meeting um, that was, you know, with a sister company and it was being run by another woman. And she was... So brilliant. Watching her was like watching poetry in motion. Like she was funny and smart 
and got her, you know, an articulate and like got her point across, but quite steely, a little bit scary. Like she just had the whole 360, like she just knew, you know, how to sort of navigate spaces as a woman, you know, where it isn't a straightforward path. Like she understood the nuance of how to be likable and respected at the same time, which is like the space we have to navigate. And I just thought, wow, she's really figured it out. And I'm sure process of trial and error and failure and, and, and everything else. And I would just love to have her in my corner. That's really like what the We Suite is about. It's like bringing together women who've reached a certain level in their careers, you know, by different means, different journeys. We've navigated many of the same things, but, you know, in this, by a slightly different path. And just bringing all of that knowledge and nuance together to help us sort of troubleshoot for the next level. Because I think that there's a certain, like when you're coming up the ladder, you're learning, you're learning how to do your job. You're learning how to find your voice, be a leader, all those things. And then once you sort of hit leadership, then it really becomes about the nuance of getting into the right rooms, navigating the invisible rules. And that's really like something that can't be taught it's something right. that you learn by trial, by process of trial and error, or you learn from your peers. Right. And so there is so much that I wish I'd known that I know now that I can pass along to, you know, friends and colleagues. And so that's really, you know, what the We Suite is about is like that kind of community that is really anchored in sharing our journeys and stories. Yes. Yes. You actually have your own philosophy for paying it forward through peer sponsorship versus just mentorship. So can you kind of delve into what that means? Yes. So one thing that I did not want to create was just a community where it was just about sort of support and kumbaya and hugs, but like I said, a community, but more focused on like being super actionable and transactional I think about my husband and and you know when we're out together and when he meets somebody like within five minutes they're exchanging cards and doing business and with women you know we just take a little bit longer and like there's some trust that has to be built and you wouldn't talk about money or around work early on in a meeting Mm -hmm. and I just want to dispense with that I can just really get to the point because you know we're losing time Yes. You know, when you look at the stats around women in positions of power, like we are currently, I think, 8% of Fortune 500 sort of CEOs. And it hovers, you know, somewhere between like four and eight, depending on when you ask the question. And, you know, and it's ridiculous. And it cuts across other areas of like politics, society, you know, culture. And so like, how do we shift the numbers? For me, it's really about how we do deals, how we write checks, how we make introductions, how we make referrals. Like for me, it's like those actionable pieces are yes. the ones that really propel our careers forward. And, and speaking of mentors, I want to congratulate you on winning gold at the Anthem Awards for the Webbies for your 2 million mentor minutes. That is incredible. You know, what a brilliant concept to begin with and to see it through, just so remarkable. Thank you so much. I mean, again, like that's something that, you know, it's an idea I had that I shared with the We Sweet members, you know, like what, you know, the, at the time, women were leaving the workforce in droves and, yeah. and I didn't blame them. Like I was, you know, <laughs> exhausted, tired to my core. 
And so there was this sort of help sense of sort of helplessness, like what can we do to be part of the solution? And really all that we had to give was our time. You know, when you lose a job or, you know, you are out of the workforce, like one of the hardest things is to figure out what your next steps are. Um, you know, you're sort of out of the industry. Or, and so you have to figure out like how to get back in, how to sort of reconnect. And so, you know, it was really about like, how can we give our time to help women who are in a really tough place and feeling doubly isolated because of the pandemic? How do we give, you know, some of our time and expertise and insight to help them figure out the next steps? So I'm so sort of thrilled about that campaign and, and really want to bring it back sometime soon as well. Yeah, I love that. Tell us about Black Women Raise and, you know, how you're helping these women, you know, raise capital, which, you know, they're literally going against the odds. Like Black women start businesses um, at a higher rate than any other demographic. Wow. And yet we receive, the number's gone up now, actually. So I think it's now 0.06 or 0.6, can't remember which it is, percent um, of available investment capital, which is still oh. a ridiculously yeah, so minuscule pathetic. amount. Yes. And so again, it's like, how do you compete on an equal playing field, you know, in trying to build a business when you don't have capital? You're trying to build something, you know, that's, you know, that's high scale and can compete in this sort of tech environment. You need funding um, to build the infrastructure and to build the team to really grow. And something like 61% of Black owned businesses are self-funded. How do you scale yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, when you don't have the support and the means to be able to do so. So everything comes down to community and connections and access. Mm. And so when you're raising funding, it's all about introductions. So how do you get a warm intro to a VC, to a funder? And so they'll take a meeting with you. You know, you sort of need connections to be able to do that. And so Black Women Raise was really about like connecting founders to potential funders, but also just to networked people who could open doors for them. And so we would just host a series of like intimate salons and dinners and bring the right people into the room to help facilitate that. And, you know, what advice do you have for companies and for CEOs to really be mindful of their practices uh, as far as DEI, which I'm so glad is at the forefront. It took long enough. I mean, mostly I would say, like, don't isolate yourself. Do you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? I think that so much of it was that, you know, back to the community and and sort of networks, like if your network is filled with people who look like you. Mm -hmm. So if you are a older white guy and all your friends are older white guys and you talk about older white guy problems, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. what the real world is navigating, what, you know, what your sort of youngest and most junior employees what your most marginalized employees are really navigating on a daily basis and people tend to do the right thing when they really understand you know when there's sort of empathy involved I think it's very hard to just say do this I mean obviously people eventually have to be forced into changing but you know I find that storytelling is really the most effective way of shifting mindsets and like hearing an individual story, understanding my story, where I came from, how I got to where I am. Like it really clicks. Like you can really sort of see the wheels turning, you know, yeah. when you're talking to someone who's from a different sort of difference of space and time that it's coming through. And, and I think that it's often easier to get through to them that way than it is to just say, this is how 
things need to be, though obviously we have to tell them that. And I think it's why, you know, you so often hear that men with daughters are more likely to pay their employee, female employees fairly than men without. They see, you know, their daughters, they, they empathize with the struggle. They understand they don't want that. They want their daughters to sort of experience, you know, a fair and equal workplace. And so they they understand. Yes. Um, and so it's the same thing. So I would just say, like, don't isolate yourself, like be amongst your teams, be really focused, you know, especially if you are a company that is not diverse and does not have a, a strong work culture, like set targets and stick to them. Like, you know, and, and I've seen a lot of companies are now putting those targets against sort of company, you know, employee bonuses. So like, mm-hmm. you, you know, you have to sort of meet those targets in order to get a pay raise or, you know, get your sort of end of year bonus or however that's structured. So like you have to sort of force people to be uncomfortable, to to think outside the box, as opposed to tapping into the same networks over and over whenever they're hiring. And I hear it all the time. Like, I, do, I can't, but I'm trying. <laughs> well, you know, try harder. Like, right. You know, so, um, right. When your bonuses and pay structure um, is sort of predicated on achieving diversity targets, that's an incentive. Yes. This year marked the nomination of Kitanji Onyika Brown-Jackson to be an Associate Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. What sentiments do you have, you know, seeing her embracing her African roots? And she's such a powerful woman and about to take on one of the most powerful positions in our country. What sentiments are kind of stirring in your head about it? Why did it take so long? I know. Do you know what I mean? Like, True. You know, every time I hear a first or an only, I'm like... Really? 2022. Uh, yeah. She's the first? She's the only in yeah. this age? Um, so that's always the first. And then I'm, you know, obviously I, I'm sort of jubilant and so excited for her and for what it will mean for me, for, for young women, for, you know, for young Black girls to see her sort of ascend her position of, of power in such a way. I've been struck by the incredible credentials she brings to the table. You know, as usual, she is wildly overqualified for the job. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Um, the level of pedigree is unmatched. My goodness. Unmatched as, as we have to be. Um, yes. We don't yeah. get to fail upwards at all. So very aware and so very conscious of that. Have been, you know, watching her go through the hearings and obviously comport herself with such sort of dignity and poise and you know just such sort of intelligence and you know and she's being asked some ridiculously silly questions at times and she's probably used to it um you know we've we've all been there we're all sort of sort of empathizing you know with her position right now and just excited for the nomination to be confirmed and to and to, and to celebrate how how has motherhood changed you i got sort of deeper in touch with my innermost feelings like you know when I hear stories about mothers or children in distress prior to having a child I would react with horror distress or uh, you know sympathy or whatever and now it sort of goes a level beyond that where it's almost like I I take on that pain like I feel Mm. I feel it so intensely deeply you know and maybe just more of a willingness you know I think often to see the other side like I my son Sebastian, when he tells me about other kids being mean or you know he's so bullied, um, I really encourage him to see the other side, like to really mm. think about 
their story. Ultimately, you know, if we believe like children are inherently good, yeah. then what in their story caused them to act in that way? What what deep down inside, what hurt and pain deep down inside resulted in them sort of lashing out in the way that they did? Right. And I think it's helpful for him in not internalizing anything that's sort of said or done to him. Like he's like, oh, well, they just, they're unhappy. That's just mm-hmm. their unhappiness manifesting. It's not me. Like I'm not the bad person. Because I think that, you know, sometimes he would just, come home feeling like bad about himself I'm like no it's them it's not you is there a mom sense moment that you can recall where you know you trusted that gut instinct that we have as parents with Sebastian this is not related to sort of being a parent but when I was pregnant I would say is when I first felt that mom sense that you you're describing and it was actually when uh, I was in labor you know we went to the hospital And they told me that I was barely dilated. I wasn't going to give birth until the next day and to go back home. We went back home. Then after a couple of hours, I just knew they couldn't have been right. Even though I'd never done this before, it felt wrong. And so we just got back in a car and went back to the hospital. And I nearly gave birth in the taxi. Oh, my goodness. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'm so glad you trusted your yes. your got with that wow let's not forget our quote of the day and do you have you know a quote or a motto that you live by as an entrepreneur i hear a lot of no's all day long <laughs> oh man yeah um, you know just par for the course and so i always sort of re- like remind myself that there is a better yes coming Um, and not to focus on the nose. And I feel like that's just been true of my life, that when I look back on, you know, all the things that, all the times I was told no, times I was rejected, didn't get what I wanted, like, I wouldn't change a thing because I wouldn't be where I am doing the things that I'm doing. And like, life took the course that, that was right for me. So, you know, that I find that helpful. It's now time for Mom Hall, when we share products we love. Mom Hall is a section where we can share something that we're loving. So do you have any that you could share with us now that we could support? So my friend, Julia Collins, a Black founder who I love more than anything, just the kindest, most brilliant human being. So she has a company called Planet Forward, very focused on creating a better ecosystem around food and food production. And so she has a line of products called Moon Snacks. Moon Snacks. Um, that cool. are Moon Snacks, yes. And you can find them in your local health food store and I believe in, in Whole Foods. And they are sort of yummy and also like produced in a, a way that sort of does not tax the environment. So it's like a, a double yes. So awesome. And where can my listeners find you and join the We Suite and support all that you're doing? I am on most platforms as at Deepoku. So on Instagram, for example. And then uh, the WeSuite.com. Um, so the W-I-E Suite.com is where you go to find out more and, um, and to join. Thank you. Thank you, Dee. This was such a fun, entertaining, enlightening conversation. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. This is really great. 
It's total mom sense.